Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatch Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatch or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatch.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, I was sitting at a Starbucks with two guys. I was discipling, coaching at the time. One was actually my brother-in-law, Mitch, and another friend of mine, uh, Nick. And we were reading a book together called Follow Me by David Platt. If you've never read a David Platt book, uh, it's basically just a swift kick in the teeth for every follower of Jesus. And this particular section of the book was focusing on sharing your faith. And, and as I leaned into this conversation with Nick and Mitch, I was just kept going back to this word of easy. I was just like, guys, it's so easy to share your faith. People are open to these conversations. It's so easy easy, easy. And it got to the point where Nick finally interjected, and not in a confrontational way, not in a way that said like, hey, prove your point, and in a very like conversational, hey, I just want to learn. He leaned into that, and he said to me, Shay, if it's really easy, can you just kind of show us what it looks like real quick? And I was kind of like, well, come again, what do you mean? And he's like, well, there's obviously a lot of people in the Starbucks right now, like, can you just kind of go and and up to one of these people and, and, and share your faith with one of them. And, and so this is one of those moments that I'll admit to you that even as your pastor, I was like, oh boy, here we go. I'm, I'm being put to the test. And so said a quick prayer, asked the Holy Spirit to point somebody out. And there was somebody on the other side of the Starbucks, a, a younger guy, probably about 10 years younger than me, glasses on, reading a book. And I went up and I, I struck up a conversation with them and pretty quickly steered it towards faith. And we ended up sitting there and that day accepted Christ for the first time. And no, actually, that's not how this went. I had a conversation with him. I definitely steered it towards faith. And I actually, as it would turn out, this is a guy that used to go to church pretty frequently, but hadn't been going in a while. And based on where he lived, I suggested a church right around the corner from him, asked him if I could pray for him. I said, hey, the next time I'm in here and I happen to see you, maybe can we continue this conversation? And he just said like, yeah, absolutely. And it reminded me as I was having this conversation with two guys about how easy it is to share your faith, how open people are to share, uh, hearing about the Christian faith, uh, I was like, do, do I actually believe that? Or, or is that something that I've just kind of started to say? Well, well, I've really started kind of yelling this from the rooftops of, of late in particular. I, I genuinely feel right now, at, at this present cultural moment, at this particular moment in history, p- people are more open to learning about Jesus than I have at least ever experienced in my life. It probably has something to do with a worldwide pandemic and a war when death is kind of staring down at you from both ends of the barrel. You, you might be a touch more open to this whole conversation about faith. A, a lot more on that here in just a minute. But first, let me kind of get you caught up to speed with where we're at right now in this collection of talks. What we're in a series right now, as you've likely already figured out, called Thriving in Babylon. And if we were to have created a, a subtitle for this series, it would read, A Guide for How Godly People Can Thrive in a Godless Culture. Because as I've been saying and has been only validated by so many of you since the start of this series, culture seems to be shifting underneath our feet, headed into uncharted waters. What in the heck are we supposed to do in this particular cultural moment, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus? Even people who have no relationship with Jesus are kind of asking similar questions. In fact, it might be that uneasiness that actually drove you to checking out this whole church thing this morning. 
You're officially looking for answers and you're curious if maybe church might be able to fill in some of the blanks. Well, I have some really, really good news for you. That This book of Daniel that we find in the Old Testament, which is kind of that first half of the Bible, it provides us with a playbook for all of human history and every civilization for how we don't simply survive in this world, but thrive. How we not only endure, but influence. See, Babylon doesn't just describe some powerful nation that existed some 2,500 years ago. It's a term used throughout all of human history to describe the spirit of this world. As crazy as it might sound to some of you, an evil spirit has been influencing our world, influencing our culture for all of human history right up to present day, leading us away from God and towards the world. We would call that spirit Babylon. And as we've discussed at length already in this series, this craziness that we find ourselves a part of right now is really nothing new. That the spirit of Babylon is always up to the same tricks, always using the same methods. That this is why, and I'll continue to remind us of this, this is why the Bible isn't an old book. It's a timeless book. It doesn't just tell us something that happened. It tells us what always happens. It's predictive in that way. And it's why Daniel is such a helpful guide for the follower of Jesus today, yes, even in this particular cultural moment. So that's kind of really the Cliff Notes version of everything that we've been talking about so far. So it's really, really important if you have not been here for every week of the series, I'm begging you, go and catch yourself up at grumlaw.com slash messages or find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you snag those podcasts. But today, if you would like to follow along, we're going to dive here into Daniel chapter 4. As promised, we are just working chapter by chapter through the book of Daniel. But before we go there, I want to draw our attention to a thread that we see spoken about all throughout Scripture, even and especially well into the New Testament, that second half of the Bible. See, when Jesus was on this earth, he made a very, very clear statement regarding what he wanted to see in every single one of our lives. And if you grew up going to church, don't answer this out loud. Pretend like you don't know what fills in the blank. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you blank. Now, now, if you grew up going to church, you know what's supposed to fill in that blank, but even you'll admit it's not necessarily what you've learned in church environments like this, and it's not necessarily what you would have probably expected to come out of the mouth of Jesus. See, if we were given no hints whatsoever, and that probably describes some of you, we, we would expect that blank to be filled with a, a better person, or follow me and I will make you more moral. Follow me and I will make you curse less. Follow me and I will make you more likely to choose good things and less likely to choose bad things. But, but, but it's interesting. Jesus didn't say any of that. No, no, here's what Jesus actually said. He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. What this means is that as you follow Jesus, he is trying to turn you into somebody that influences others to also be followers of Jesus. That the trajectory of your life would be all about pointing other people towards Jesus. But back to Daniel chapter 4. As clearly illustrated throughout the text of Daniel, yes, as followers of Jesus, we're to be influences in this world, in this culture, by influencing things like laws and policies, politics, education. Christians ought to be influencing all of that stuff. But, but allow me to speak in a very straightforward way for a moment. Laws, policies, government, education, they are insufficient to fix what is wrong with this world. Governments cannot fix what governments did not break. 
Education cannot fix what education did not break. See, what scripture very, very clearly points us to, remember, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's not a version of truth. It is quite literally the truth. It is the unchanging, inerrant word of God. What scripture clearly points us to and what our own lives have actually shown us is that the root of every problem in this world isn't a government issue, isn't a policy issue, isn't an education issue, but a sin issue. And if it's a sin issue, then the only solution is a salvation solution. We say it this way all the time around here. And until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see the need for a savior. And listen, if you're watching right now and calling yourself a sinner is a hard pill for you to swallow, I totally get that, by the way. I just invite you to think back over your life over just like the last week. I mean, Isn't it true? You do things, I do things, we all do things all the time. We're almost immediately afterwards, we're asking ourselves, what in the heck did I do that for? Or what is wrong with me? And scripture would tell us, Jesus lovingly shows us, he says, hey, that's that's that sin issue, which gets at the heart of why Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will allow you to be a part of something so much bigger than yourself. Bringing other people into a relationship with the living God, solving once and for all that nagging sin issue that you could not solve on your own. And what we have so beautifully modeled for us in Daniel chapter 4 is how Daniel exerted a godly witness. This is kind of our word for the day. How Daniel in particular exerted a godly witness upon King Nebuchadnezzar that resulted in a shift for the entire nation. And here's why I think this text in particular should be of interest for every single person who's watching right now. See, all of us, Christian, not a Christian, we all have people in our lives that that we don't simply want a better marriage for them. We, We don't want them to just experience greater financial stability. We don't want them to just have freedom from addiction. We don't want them to just have a, a better work-life balance. No, more than that, and even for those of you, again, who are not really sure yet where you stand on this whole God thing, you want to see these people in heaven. If heaven is a real place, there are certain friends and coworkers and neighbors and family members that, that you definitely want to see there. You don't want them to just have a better life. You want them to experience eternal life. And Daniel chapter four gives us a playbook as to how we are to make that a reality. But, but one more pit stop before we take a look here in the text in Daniel chapter four. There's a guy by the name of Paul uh, that we read an awful lot about in particular in the New Testament, that second half of the Bible. In fact, he wrote about half of it through a series of letters that he wrote back to these early Christian churches, many of them of which he actually helped to start. Uh, It's kind of commonly held amongst biblical scholars, followers of Jesus, that Paul is kind of like the greatest evangelist, very churchy word, but the greatest sharer of the Christian faith in all of human history. In fact, we're probably not gathered here today talking about Jesus, if not for that first century evangelistic work of Paul. But here in Paul's letter to the early Christian church in Rome, he gives us his threefold strategy of how he influences people for Jesus, of how he goes out and he shares Jesus with the world. Romans chapter 15, he he says, yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Bring the Gentiles, Gentile again, another one of these kind of churchy words. Uh, It's a word that simply means not Jewish. So chances are you probably fall into that category. Bring the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. 
They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Took me only 45 minutes to figure out how to pronounce that. But, but what Paul's going and saying here and communicating to us, he's saying, listen, I have followed the exact same blueprint for sharing my faith, for sharing about Jesus at every single stop along the way. Three steps, my actions, my words, and miraculous signs and wonders. First up, my actions. Let's, let's jump back again to the text in Daniel chapter four. Uh, Daniel at this point, he's probably likely somewhere in his early 40s, which means, don't miss this, that Daniel spent nearly 30 years connecting before he did any correcting. Before he gave any counsel, Daniel spent about 30 years giving care to the king. Let me just give you one example of what I mean. Daniel chapter four, if you read it for yourself, it primarily speaks about Daniel interpreting a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, really more, we would actually classify that today as a night terror. And, and I want you to see how Daniel responds when he recognizes what the dream is talking about and that it has negative implications for King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, if you weren't with us in week number one, Belteshazzar was the new name given to Dan Daniel, his Babylonian name, Daniel being his Jewish name. Upon hearing this, Daniel was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Again, because it had negative implications for King Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. He's going, listen, I, I can sense that you're probably not thrilled with what this dream means for me, but I want you to share it anyway. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowing this, the dream, would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. All throughout the text, all throughout the book of Daniel, the care and love that Daniel has for Nebuchadnezzar is so apparent that despite the fact, and I'm going to keep reminding us of this, that this is the guy who, who is responsible for ripping Daniel away from everything that was familiar to him, all that he'd grown up with. He marched him 700 miles across the desert Upon arriving in Babylon, he immediately had him castrated. He threw his three closest friends into a furnace. Church, that is marching to the beat of a different drum. This, this shows what, what loving your enemy actually looks like. That is demonstrating your love for God by loving the people around you well. You cannot hate people and reach people at the same time. They're simply incompatible. And that's why all followers of Jesus must have a day-by-day, moment-by-moment dependence on the Holy Spirit, on God in spirit who dwells within every single follower of Jesus. Because in your own flesh, this is impossible. But through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, again, available to every follower of Jesus, it's not only possible, but what God longs to do through you. In this way, our mercy authenticates our message. I'm going to brag on my wife for a second. It seems like there's not a week that goes by that she kind of excitedly walks through the door and shares with me. She's like, I just met this lady at the gym, or I was just talking with this person in the line at the grocery store. And she's kind of like just getting all this detail about how she very openly shared her faith with this individual and ended up inviting him to church. And wouldn't you know it, that very Sunday, it seems like they show up 100% of the time. But as I actually dig into these stories, you see this thread all throughout it. Her mercy continually authenticates her message. She, she cares for people so well that, that, that her, her, her message is only being validated by what she has shown these individuals over and over and over again. A message of amazing grace is authenticated by people of amazing graciousness. 
If you want to see someone saved, I'd recommend leading in how well you serve them. The way you win your neighbor, your family member, your friend, your coworker to Christ begins with your deeds. Church, as your pastor, and honestly, <laughs> as I was writing this message, this was really, really sobering when I, when I kind of put this together. I, I literally have never, not one time, I have not ever converted someone to Christianity on an intellectual basis. I, I know this book called the Bible fairly well. My, my intellectual conversations are pretty ironclad. But, but I'm acknowledging to all of you, it hardly matters. You win people to Christ by how well you love them. Without deeds, your faith is dead. Someone a lot smarter than me might have said something like that. I think he was on to something. This is a big part of why, as a church, we give hundreds of thousands of dollars away every single year to efforts that in no way tangibly benefit Grumlaw Church. Before we talk about Jesus, we need to act like Jesus. We want to be a church in this community where people might actually think to themselves, there's no chance I'm going to walk through their doors, but sheesh, the good they're doing in this community is undeniable. I'm not really a fan of churches, but I think I'm at least appreciative of that church. There's something that we uh, say an awful lot around here. It's language we use called Hoosier One, where we challenge every single person who would call Grumlaw their, their church home to have uh, one person that they would be praying for every single day until that person would come to know and have an intimate relationship with Jesus. We're actually going to dive into a lot more detail on this on April the 10th, the week before Easter. We'll have a big Who's Your One Sunday. We make a big deal of this at least once a year. But again, we're always talking about it. And, and again, as I was writing this message, I, I was thinking to myself, and again, a very convicting thought. Rather than always praying, and again, this is a very regular prayer for my one, my neighbor. Hey, give me an opportunity to share my faith. God, open up some door where I can kind of push like your message into the conversation. I think our prayer maybe should be more consistently, God, give me an opportunity to serve that individual. God, present me with an opportunity to meet a need for my one. Again, our mercy authenticates our message. So, so again, first up, our, our, our actions. The number two, my words. All throughout Daniel, uh, and if you read it through this lens, I promise you'll see this theme all over the place. Daniel and his friends very naturally slip into conversation testimonies of God at work in their lives and the lives around them. In this particular chapter in Daniel 4, Daniel again interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. This is a gift given to him, by the way, all throughout the text. And, and watch what he says right after interpreting the dream. He looks at him and he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. I would say these are some pretty bold words to a king who had a reputation for kind of flying off the handle when he didn't hear exactly what he wanted to hear. I know this is going to sound like a wild thought, but we have to actually open up our mouths and testify to our risen Savior. We can't simply cross our fingers and hope that people are just going to figure it out on their own. This is just kind of an observation, so take it for what it's worth, but I've seen this as a pattern for my entire life. It's kind of interesting how people who find Christ in adulthood seem much more willing, generally speaking, to share their faith than people like me who grew up going to church. In fact, as I think about this particular faith community, the most effective witnesses for Christ at Grumlaw are people who have come to faith in the last couple of years. You want to know how they're like able to pull this off? You ready? They open up their mouths and they share when given even the slightest window of opportunity. 
There's been this young guy in his early 20s that's been showing up to Grumla now for about a month and a half. And uh, about a month and a half ago, somebody invited him, and God, the Holy Spirit, has just been rocking his world ever since that first Sunday. And what's been so cool is literally every Sunday since he came that first time, he's brought a new person or two new people or three new people walking through the doors with him as well that that previously didn't really go to church either. And in fact, it was just a couple of weeks ago that uh, one of his friends leaned over, and there was this girl that had kind of come through the doors with him, and they're like, hey, who is that? And his response, I love this. He said, I don't really know. We were at a get-together last night, and she was there, and I said something about Grumlaw and that she should come, and now she's here. <laughs> I'm not making that up. Listen, I've thought about this a lot, and why specifically those who are new to faith, those who find Jesus in adulthood, are so much more willing to talk about Jesus and share their faith than those who have spent their entire lives in church. And here's the conclusion I've drawn. Now, keep in mind, I don't have a Bible verse for this. This is admittedly my theory, so take it for what it's worth. Here's my best stab at it, and admittedly, it's not very well wordsmithed. That those who discover Jesus in adulthood can very vividly remember how unfulfilling life was without Jesus. And now they're living proof of how much better life is with him, and they desperately want others to experience what they are living. It's not head knowledge, it's real life. They don't fear that someone might ask them a question that they're not going to have the answer for. They'll simply shrug their shoulders and say, dude, I don't know. Honestly, I don't really even care. All I know is that my life was pretty brutal before Jesus, and now it's a lot better. So I think you should get in on this action. If people don't take them up on the offer, they don't get beat down about that. They hardly even care because they're so happy-go-lucky over their Savior who died for them. It's this attitude of, oh, well, kind of your loss, and they just kind of move on to the next person. Church, our world has a sin issue, and it's only salvation that can fix it. God has left it to us, followers of Jesus, to carry this message into the world. So many Christians are paralyzed when it comes to sharing their faith because they mistake their role in the courtroom. Here's what I mean by that. You're thinking that you have to be the lawyer presenting that person with an airtight, ironclad argument and win them over to Christ in exactly one conversation. When in reality, you're simply called to be a witness. Jesus, in some of his final words on earth, he frames it this way. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Your role is to simply share your side of the story, which is why it's totally okay if you don't have all the answers. Y'all, I don't either. You just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, I don't know, but let me tell you about what Jesus has been doing in my life. See, I have a little illustration for us this morning. I have, a, I have 10 pieces of tape here on the floor. And uh, what we often, I think, lose sight of is that people, let's say this for over here, this is the number 10, you can't see these numbers, this over here is number one, and we would say number 10 is represented by somebody who is, you know, completely, you know, like, like, as far away from God as possible. Number one is that person that you think of when you're like, man, this person has a more intimate relationship with Jesus than, than anybody I know. We often think that we, again, in one conversation, we got to take this person from 10 to one in exactly like one conversation. Remember, people gradually step away from God. 
It's not an overnight process. And in the exact same way, people will naturally take gradual step towards God. So let's say that you, you have a neighbor that moves in and you don't know this at the time, uh, but they're a staunch atheist. I mean, they are about as far away from God as, as you could possibly imagine. On the day that they move in, you decide, you know what? Prompted by the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna do something nice for this family. And you go to, you go to Pizza Hut, you go to Domino's and you pick up dinner for them. And you, you bring it over and you just say, hey, we saw that you were moving in. We know that these days can be really, really chaotic. And so our family just wanted to say that we're excited that you moved in next door. Here's just kind of a small gesture of, of us just to say, hey, welcome, we're glad you're here. I also wrote my phone number on this piece of paper. If you need anything whatsoever, even if you need some help moving in today, let me know, we'll, we'll be over immediately. And that person doesn't know it in the moment that, that you're necessarily a follower of Jesus, but, but they start putting the pieces together over the next couple of weeks and they think, huh, I thought that every Christian was an indignant, self-righteous jerk. My neighbor kind of seems different. One step closer. A couple of weeks later, they're at work. Again, they moved to a new area. It's been a little bit rougher of a transition than anticipated. And one of their coworkers, again, prompted by the Holy Spirit, just writes them a kind note and says, hey, I've been praying for you. I know this transition has maybe been a little bit more difficult than you anticipated. And I wanted to get your coffee this week. So here's a $25 gift certificate, gift card. Who the heck uses gift certificates? <laughs> gift card to Starbucks coffee's on me for this week. Every week, you know, pick one up and, you know, it's on me. I just wanted to say that you are appreciated and we're glad you're here. Again, another, hmm, I thought Christians were jerks. One step closer. Now, now granted, in this whole thing, that there might be things that move them away. Maybe they go out to eat on a Sunday afternoon and a whole group of Christians swamps the restaurant, you know, as soon as church gets let out and they see somebody on the table next to them left this $2 tip and a Bible tract. By the way, if you're leaving Bible tracts still, I, I'm not gonna, you know, admonish you for doing so, but if you leave a Bible tract, you are, you are giving somebody the most generous message they will ever receive. Don't accompany it with a lousy tip. If you're leaving a tract, you have to leave like a $200 tip. But in this particular case, this person sees that. And they see the track and they see, you know, the $2 tip and they might take a step towards you. But again, the next day they might see something else and they take one step closer to him. The, the, the point being this, as you move towards God, for most people is a gradual process. We, we say it all the time around here, move closer to God and he will always move closer to you. Now, now listen, there are exceptions to this. In a lot of ways, these stories might be doing us more harm than good where we do see this like 10 to 1 conversations happen. It's like, oh my goodness, I want that for my life. But for most people, coming to God again, it's that gradual process and we might never experience a single conversation like that in our entire lives. But you have no idea how God might want to use you along these steps. Or we could say it this way, sharing your faith is a team sport. It takes all of us. It's very rare to go from 10 to 1 in a single conversation, but there's a really good chance that you might move them one step closer, even, even if you don't feel like you saw the evidence of that, even if it feels like a failure in the moment. Y'all, I used to get, <laughs> acknowledging, I used to get so mad at God. I, I'd feel these promptings by the Holy Spirit, like, okay, go talk to that person, have that conversation, or, you, you know, go do this nice thing for that individual. And, and I fully anticipated, I went into every single one of those conversations with, okay, this is gonna end with me leading this person to Christ, us saying the sinner's prayer. And when it didn't work out that way, which was almost every single time, I'd be like, Holy Spirit, what in the heck was that? I know you were telling me to go have this conversation. Like, why didn't that work out? I, I was so transfixed on getting that person from 10 to one in a single conversation that it would paralyze me leading forward. When I had to realize was again, it's a gradual process and even what might feel like a failure in the moment, I have no idea what God was doing with it. 
And I have no idea what he did the day before with that person. I have no idea what he might do in the coming week with that individual. I might not get to get the, put the cherry on top, but that does not mean that, that my actions, my obedience was wasted. So, so when we say my words, we're simply talking about sharing about what God has been doing in your life. You don't have to have the whole New Testament memorized. You don't need a class. All you need is your story. Share what God has been doing in your life. We have an incredible group here at, at Grumlaw called Alcoholics for Christ. And the stories that come out of that are just so powerful. But, but what, again, is so unique is that they're never these perfectly articulated stories of Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection. No, no they're instead tales of people who were once slaves to addiction People attempting to fill a void that every single one of us have with a substance and figuring out that it was only meant to be filled with Jesus. And now they're just kind of looking at the world going, my life is so much better than before. We live right now in, in a kind of coming out age. People are coming out and embracing a lot of different ideologies. And, and as cheesy as this might sound, we need more Christians that are coming out as followers of Jesus how many people in your life don't know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus? This upcoming Sunday on March the 20th, uh, we have something that we do every single year called Free T-Shirt Sunday. Uh, it's kind of traditionally speaking, one of the biggest Sundays of the year, usually right behind Christmas and Easter. It is incredible what people will do for a $5 free T-Shirt. And, and we get pretty excited about that around here, but I'm going to kind of peel the curtain back and explain why we do this. I, I promise you we don't do Free T-Shirt Sunday uh, because we are afraid that all of you do not have enough clothing. We're, we're confident you probably have enough shirts. Our hope and our prayer is that you will take that shirt and you'll actually wear it strategically. That you'll wear it to places where you're hoping to interact with individuals who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And when somebody asks, hey, what's Grumlaw? You openly share about your faith and you openly invite them to church. When you even just kind of notice somebody glancing at Grumlaw and you can kind of hear and feel their brain ticking of like, what in the heck does that mean? You're like, oh, this, this is my church. It's right here in this community. And you explain why it's been so life-giving to you and you actually invite them. It's also next weekend that we're going to be handing out our first round of Easter invitations. Y'all, we try to make our Easter and Christmas invitations like really easy. In fact, this year they are attached to water. It doesn't get much easier than that. It's like you want to water and then you also invite those people. I want to challenge all of you. Put a bunch of those in your car. Invite people when given even the slightest of opportunities. It's still a fact. The number one reason that people do not show up to church is because they were never invited. So, so my actions, my words, and then miraculous signs and wonders. Read the book of Daniel for yourself. And again, it's impossible to deny that God speaks to Nebuchadnezzar through dreams then he speaks through Daniel interpreting those dreams, and then he validates Daniel's words with miraculous signs and wonders. A couple examples. He, he delivers, right, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. He saves Daniel from the hungry lions in the lion's den. He afflicts Nebuchadnezzar with physical ailments. We see this power on display all throughout the entire Bible. God validating his message through signs and wonders, through miracles, I promise you, he has not stopped working in this way. Now, as we close our time together, I want to draw our attention back to, to Jesus' words that we already touched on for a minute, to something that I very intentionally breezed past initially. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, 
and to the ends of the earth. You see that? I didn't make it very hard. After all, I, I did highlight it. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I, I want to share a little bit more with you, a, a, a little bit of my story that I think might sound a little bit like some of your stories. Despite the fact that I grew up in church, despite the fact that I have two parents who were very bold and modeled really, really well what it, what it looks like to, to actively share their faith, uh, for most of my life, uh, I was terrified to do what Jesus is asking us to do right here. And, and that probably stems from a lot of different reasons. I, I didn't feel like I knew what to say. I was afraid I wouldn't have the answers. If I'm honest, I was probably really consumed with myself and how I might be judged, what people would think of me, what, what if they reject it. In, in short, I was, I was operating completely on my own power. And, and if I'm honest, I thought it all depended on me. Let me remind us of something that Jesus calls attention to right here when he says the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And and I think it should cause all of us to just kind of breathe a collective sigh of relief. It does not rely on you. Or, Or let me say it another way. You can't screw it up. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit living within you. God in spirit going before you, covering our weaknesses, giving us the words when we don't feel like we know what to say, comforting us when we feel like we've absolutely blown it, reminding us that it doesn't rely on us, validating what we've said and how we've lived with miraculous signs and wonders. Church, within our own strength, if it did rely on us, we we probably would screw it up just about every single time, but it doesn't rely on you. As followers of Jesus, we are called to simply be obedient and then trust in the power of the Holy Spirit that goes before us, who is working even when we don't see it. I've heard it said like this before, that God is up to about 10,000 things in our lives at any particular moment, and we might only be aware of three or four. The Holy Spirit wants to validate the obedience of his followers. God, in fact, promises us that he will not leave us hanging. He says it this way in Isaiah chapter 55. He says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. Even when you don't feel like you're seeing the fruit. Even when the interaction feels like a complete failure. He's going, no, 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 I'm still working in that. It will accomplish all I want to. Not what I want to. Not my plan, not my agenda, but his plan. It will accomplish all I want to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. I promise you that God wants salvation for people. He he wants to save every single one of you who are watching from that nagging sin problem. If he didn't, I promise he would not have sent his son. One of the incredible things that we're seeing in our world right now is the big C church, the, the collective body of followers of Jesus is actually growing like crazy right now, like at an incredibly fast rate. And in a lot of places actually that are most hostile towards the message of Jesus. Take for instance right now that the Christian church in Iran, this is actually one of the areas where Christianity is growing fastest. A million plus followers they estimate right now and growing rapidly. And it's happening Because people are sharing their faith, though it might very well cost them their lives. When God prompts, the people are acting. They're opening up their mouths. When God prompts, you know, just an act of obedience, just doing a gesture where he serve your neighbor, that they're doing it. 
They're trusting in who goes before them. But one of the incredible things that we're hearing right now, and you can do the research for yourself, it's all over the place, is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to people in dreams. So you have an individual that, again, was, was obedient, shared their faith with another person, even though it might very well cost them their lives. And then that night that they're having a dream where the Holy Spirit is only reinforcing everything that they just heard from that other person. That the miraculous is happening. God is responding to the obedience of his people. I'm convinced, and scripture only further validates this, that the reason the miraculous, the reason the Holy Spirit moving in power isn't commonplace amongst us, the places here like first world countries like America, is because so many of us are being disobedient with our actions and our words, slamming doors shut when God opens them. Let us not be a church that quenches the Holy Spirit. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, he, he longs to use you to help move other people closer to him. God promises us that, that he'll hold up his end of the bargain. That the Holy Spirit will move before us in power. He will do the miraculous if we're obedient to what he has asked of us to be, as Jesus says, witnesses in both our deed and our speech, our actions and our words.